Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to continue our series today by discussing how love endures. How love endures. So we have been in uh, in this series, the foundational piece, the foundational scripture that we've been in is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And in that passage, there are 15 characteristics of love. Now, those, uh, we've gone through 14 of those 15, so we only have one more that we're going to go through tonight, and then we're going to uh, jump into verse 8 as well to give our second point. So tonight, we only have two points, but there's three sections to each point, so we're going to get um, right into it. So number one uh, on your notes tonight is this, love endures all things. Love endures all things. That word endures in the original biblical language means to um, remain, to wait behind, not recede or flee or to abide. It also means to preserve, to under misfortune and trial, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ. It also means to bear bravely and calmly, including in the face of ill treatments. So what I want to do is I want to look at this, this idea of of love endures all things. And I want to take a look at three different aspects of it tonight. So letter A, the first one here, uh, first letter A in your notes there is, we must love those who have hurt us. We must love those who have hurt us. Now, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the, um, the, the past messages that we've gone through, we had an entire message on love forgives. And if you missed that, you can go back to the podcast and catch up on all of these in the series if you've missed any of them. But as I was thinking about love, uh, we have to love those who hurt us, then isn't that kind of a roundabout way to say forgive? And so I was like, well, we've already had a message on forgiveness. Is this kind of a repeat? You know, is it just something that he wants to emphasize in the scripture? And the more I read and the more I studied, the more I kind of sat with it and prayed, something hit me. See, Love does require forgiving, but after the forgiveness has happened, love has to continue. See, it is a very loving thing to forgive someone who has hurt us, someone who has said something about us or done us wrong in some way, shape, or form. It is a very godly scriptural thing to forgive, but this scripture is not saying just to forgive. This characteristic of love is saying once we have forgiven, we have to continue loving. See, love endures past the point of you doing the thing that you thought was the high road. I did the big thing. I I took the high road. Yes, I forgave, but I have to now continue loving. See, our nature and our culture has kind of encouraged us to say, I'll forgive you, but after that, you're cut off. I'm done with you. You can walk away, get out of my life. I don't want to see you again. I have forgiven you. Now, I'm not saying that anyone who hurts you, you should just welcome them right back into your life. You need to create a wise and healthy boundary based on Scripture. But the love that we have, the agape that we have for those people, has to continue. We are directed to do this in God's Word. Matthew 5, 43-45 says this, 
you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, this is Jesus talking, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends His rain on the just and the unjust alike. Clearly, Jesus is giving us some direction here for people who have hurt us or maybe even some people who are constantly opposing us that we would look at as enemies. And he's saying, you have to love them. Why? Why am I supposed to love my enemy? Because if someone is opposing you who is a, non- is a non-believer, then their heart is not submitted to God. So in essence, they are not really acting out towards you. They are resisting the drawing of the Spirit of God to act like Him. When I think of it that way, it becomes a lot less personal when someone hurts me or does something that is contrary to me or seems like they are kind of resisting me a lot. Because I remember... No, if their heart was truly submitted to God, they probably wouldn't act this way. It allows me to take the the, the personal sting out of it and look at them and go, they need Jesus. Doesn't mean we have to stay in a close relationship to people who have abused us relationally, but defaulting to a heart posture of hate is opposite of what Jesus instructs his followers to do. That's a hard one because hate is easy. You did me wrong. I'm holding a grudge against you. I hate you. That's easy for us as human beings. But now that we have been made new and the spirit of God is living inside of us and we are alive in Christ Jesus, we now have the ability outside of our own strength to lean on him and continue loving. See, loving those who are perceived as our enemies means we're committed to their soul's opportunity to be made right with Christ. I want to say that one more time. Loving those who are perceived as our enemies means we're committed to their soul's opportunity to be made right with Christ. Matt, you're saying that I need to love my enemies. Yes, because there is a great possibility that their heart is not submitted to God. And more than I want the temporary pain in this flesh and this emotion to stop, I want every single person who doesn't know God to to come to Him, to find Him, to confess Him, to realize that He is the way, the truth, and the life. How in the world can you do that for people who are your enemies? Um, just look in the mirror. Romans chapter 5 says this, that when we were in our sin, when we were rebelling against God, then we were enemies of God. Let me make it personal for you. No, let me not talk about general. Let's talk about me. When I was living in my sin, when I was rebelling against God, I was his enemy. But he exampled loving those who were his enemies so well that he held out 
an opportunity for me to be reconciled with him. And we, as his children, are supposed to reflect that love to other people, including those who hurt us, those who oppose us, and those who we would look at as our enemies, because God has done the same for us. Letter B. Love keeps the door open. Love keeps the door open. Let me paint a quick picture here for you if I can. Um, let's pretend, if you'll just imagine with me real quick, and, uh, that, that you are on a team. Now, doesn't, it could be a basketball team, Lakers, uh, or the Suns. Sorry, I got, I got that one in there. Yeah, the Suns. Um, <clears throat> you're on a good basketball team, or you're a part of a team. Maybe you're a part of a team at work. Maybe you're a part of a team of people who, who are starting a business or who are starting to work on something. And let's just imagine, put yourself in that scenario. And if you've, if you've already been in a scenario like that where you've done something as a team, just kind of remember back to that moment in your life. And I just want you to kind of imagine that point and everyone starts to realize what their job is. The goal is very clear. They are on their way to, to accomplishing something, whether it's winning the game or the championship or meeting the deadline or releasing this new product or building this new business, whatever it is, everybody sees the goal clearly. They, they see where they're going and they start to operate in a way that becomes like a well-oiled machine, and they get in this rhythm. Everybody is knowing what the other one's about to do, and they, they know that I have to do this job for that person to do that one, so they're not even really talking anymore because they understand how it's like, and they get into this rhythm. Has anybody ever been in a scenario like that at work or in, in a team where everything just seems to gel? It seems like it's falling into place. You've got this rhythm. Everybody is in sync and you're going. And that those moments for me are some of the funnest moments because we're, man, we're rolling. We're going. We are getting momentum. We're getting traction and we're moving ahead. And then inevitably, that pace, that rhythm, that well-oiled machine eventually starts to have a little bit of a wiggle. Everything's not starting to run so smooth anymore and we have one person who becomes a little bit behind everybody else or they're tired of working in this role or they want to move on to another place and then that rhythm that everybody was working in starts to kind of just skip a little bit and everybody wants the rhythm to, to keep going. We want to be productive. We want to stay in that kind of, in that flow. And so other people begin to pick up other jobs and say, I got it. I, you know, maybe they just need to lighten the load a little bit and then they'll kind of get back in sync because it was so much fun when we were moving in sync. And then this person begins to kind of wander and drift away from the team and from the groove and from being in sync to where it's almost there on the outside and we're dragging them along. If you're in corporate America, this is the point where your, your director, your managing director walks in and says, hey buddy, let's have a talk. And they pull the guy who's kind of wandering off and is not really being as productive or a good team member anymore, pull them in a room and say, hey man, what's going on? Are you okay? And they have this talk and they have the talk because they want them to be better, but ultimately for most people, unfortunately, the motive is I want the productivity to go back. I want to get back in that groove. I want to get back in that rhythm, but are you going to be able to do that? 
they may say yes and get back in there and it just doesn't seem like the same and it just doesn't work and eventually that's where people say you know maybe you need a break a break maybe you need a vacation maybe you need um uh, uh, maybe you need just some time away so that you can kind of get your head clear and come back and get in rhythm and if they still don't do that after a certain point in time it could in a corporate america business sense cost that person their job unfortunately the church of Jesus Christ has been impacted by this corporate idea when we deal with people. When we are thinking about from a church perspective, we, we want to go somewhere. We have a goal. We want to, you know, we want to uh, uh, do this for God. We want to, you know, build this big uh, ministry or whatever and everyone's flowing. And then when someone starts to kind of wander, our nature is to say, let's go prioritize where we're going over the person. This is not how Scripture lines out for us because we are not supposed to be prioritizing the goal over the heart of the person. Maybe you have a family member who served the Lord really well, or maybe you have a friend who you guys were on fire for God, and you guys almost seemed like that same thing. You guys were kind of in sync, and you were doing Bible studies together, or you were praying together, or you were talking about the Lord, and then maybe this friend or this family member or this person that you know began to fall off the path, and they decided to, I want to kind of go my own way. I don't want to follow this direction anymore. And at this point, we have to ask ourselves a question. Is reaching the goal or destination so important that it justifies sacrificing those who don't move at our same pace? Are we willing to cut somebody loose because, well, they're not on the train anymore, so you're in or you're out, get out. If you're out, if you're in, you're in and start going. Or is there a heart that beats for people more than crossing the finish line? If you know someone who used to serve the Lord or used to be very passionate about it and now they've fallen off, if you know someone who's done that, and I want to encourage you, yes, continue to press forward in your relationship with God. Continue to chase God with everything you have. But my friend, leave a door open so that the one who fell away knows I have not left you. I'm not going to just leave you behind. I can sacrifice a temporary goal to relationally open up a door and say, when you're ready to talk, I'm here. When you are ready to pursue God again, I am here and maintaining an open heart to them. Why is that important? Why is leaving the relational door important? Because James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 says this, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you, he's talking to believers, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. 
when we wait behind and leave a door of relationship open to help others get back on track, even when it's inconvenient for us, we are exampling the agape of 1 Corinthians 13. This is very countercultural to do because if you're not rolling with me, we want to cut people off like the corporate side. But see, the church of Jesus Christ is not corporate. It's not business. There's some principles that run it, yes, that are from Scripture that could be considered business principles. But ultimately, we have to be about people and extending love and grace and making sure we forgive those who hurt us, continue to love those who hurt us, and open up a door long-term for people who may have fallen behind. If you know somebody who has fallen behind, don't shut the door on them relationally, I beg you. Pray for them and make sure you maintain enough of a relationship where when it's time to help, you can bring them right back to the foot of, cross, the, the, the foot of Christ at the cross where we're supposed to be residing. Letter C. We have to love those who persecute us for speaking truth. We have to love those who persecute us for speaking truth. This is a tough one. This is a tough one in our culture, especially over the last 10 years and especially probably last 18 months or so. Because what's happening is the people right now here in 2020, the end of August 2020, people are wanting us as believers in Christ to co-sign on whatever desire they want and then tell them they're still going to be good with God. They want to do this under the title of love. I thought you're supposed to love. I thought you served a loving God. Why would a loving God not want me to have the things that I have inside of me, these desires that I want to go do? Why would God not let me go do this if he truly loves me? Because love is not defined by us. Love is defined by the God who is love. You are going to be encouraged. You are going to be sought after at some point in time and go, you're a Christian. You go to church. You say you love God. What do you think about fill in the blank? Some action that is against Scripture, some way of living, some, some lifestyle, some party atmospheres, or whatever it is, you're going to, be, you're going to be, have an opportunity to fill in the blank right here and then go, are you good with me doing that? Is, can I still go to heaven if I do this? And many people feel the pressure culturally to try to bend the truth around a lie. And when we bend the truth around a lie, what we're saying is false. The things we say are false if we try to shape the truth of how I want it to look. No, my friends, we as believers in Christ have to submit to the truth. We are to love without compromising truth. We're to love without compromising truth. Why? Because lying is not loving. Lying is not loving. God does not undermine His holiness in His love for us. Think about that for a second. 
God did not give me permission to pursue all the immoral things that I did in my life. He didn't sign off on it. He called me out of it to Him to save me from the path that I chose my own self to walk down. And as embarrassing as that was for me to come to Him knowing what I did was wrong, knowing what I did was contrary to Scripture, He never compromised His holiness in his love for me. He never signed off on what I wanted to do. He said, Matt, let's get away from this and come here to me. And when I got to him, everything changed. He held the standard of holiness that when I judge my life up against it, not anybody else, but I judge my own actions against what he says in his word, I fail miserably short. And his grace steps in at this moment. Showing God's love does not mean we compromise the gospel or the teachings of Christ. We must present the truth. And if the point stopped right there, we would feel like I'm justified and just bam, truth bomb. I'm going to walk in the room and I'm just going to drop the truth hard and I'm just going to throw it on people and I'm going to go online and bam, Twitter warrior or whatever, like thumb warrior. I'm going to say whatever I want to say and just start shooting the truth at everybody. But hold up a second before you start doing that. Let's read Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. This is Paul talking to the church about all the roles that they play, how they join together as the body of Christ. He's telling them to operate in their role and and complement each other and serve each other and serve the world. And he says this, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of, no, of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. How do we speak the truth, what is right, in love? I looked up this word, and this word in love is agape, but it has a little bit of a different derivative meaning. It says, for the well-being of everyone else. We have to maintain the characteristics, the love, joy, uh, of, that, are, that, are, that are listed out in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude. All of those characteristics apply to us when we present the truth to people. And the truth is not what I think, but what Jesus says. When speaking the truth of the gospel and God's word to people, it should be done with a genuine love for their soul and sincere desire to do others good. Albert Barnes was a theologian from the 1800s. <clears throat> he has a great statement about, about, um, about this, and I, I just wanted to just read it right out to you. It's in your notes there if you, if you have them. He says this, 
He has done about half his work in convincing another of error who has first convinced him that he loves him. And if he does not do that, he may argue to the hour of his death and make no progress in convincing him. What he's saying here is that if we're going to try to present the truth and correct someone who is, who's maybe wandered off or, or pursuing something that is opposite of Scripture in their life, what he's saying here is if you have convinced that person that you have loved them first, half the battle is already won. Our culture fights against this idea. Our culture wants to drop the truth bomb. They want to, you know, they want to meme to like to, to, to be sarcastic and smack somebody up against the head. They want to, you know, like make little videos and stuff of little snippets of, ooh, I got them. Ooh, I got them. And my friends, if our goal is, ooh, I got them on, on and I'm right and I look good in an argument, we have not operated from a place of love. You could say, Matt, if I do this, if I speak up, everybody that I know or a, a, a portion of people that I know are going to start to, to mock me, to make fun of me, to persecute me. They could even get to the point where they say, I hate you. I will never follow that God that you serve. And if they do that, we're in great company. John 15, 18 through 19. This is Jesus talking. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world, would the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. If you've been around uh, any length of time, you know that I picked up a hobby a couple of years ago of cooking. And um, if you were to walk in here and go, Matt, I got a big, old pan, a big old pan of brownies that are in the oven, and we're going to eat them with all this food that we got here tonight. And I'm like, awesome. What ingredients? Did you make two pans, first of all? Because I need one by myself, and then everybody else can share the other one. But what ingredients did you put in this, these brownies? They go flour and sugar and cocoa and, you know, all the other things, the eggs, the milk, all the things that it would need. And I'm like, oh, this sounds great. And then right at the end, they say, I've also got a secret ingredient. You'd pique my interest because I'd be like, what's the secret ingredient? What are we putting in here? Like, is it sriracha? Is it, you know, like, this is good. That, that, that doesn't fit, right? See, I'm just learning. So you don't put sriracha in brownies. Don't do that, by the way. Um, is it, what, what are we going to do? What, are you going to put something else in there? What's the secret ingredient? And you look at me and go, I have got three or four drops of rat poison I'm going to put in this brownie. I would, wait, what? You're going to put three or four drops of rat poison in the brownies? Yeah, why would you do that? Well, because it gives this aftertaste that I can't really explain. Yeah, I bet. Um, uh, what, what are you talking about? No, let, let's do all of it. Just leave the, let, the drops of the rat poison out of it. Leave it out of it. No, it's caramel flavored. I don't care. <laughs> caramel flavored rat poison is still rat poison. Don't put that in there. What, this is an ingredient that doesn't belong in this masterpiece right here. Don't put that in there because no one's going to eat it. Well, I like to eat it. You are running the risk of hurting yourself if you add an ingredient here and consume it. 
You are running a risk of hurting you and anyone else who interacts with this dish that you're making if you put that in there. Would I be right? It's a question. Would I be right to stand in the way of someone who is about to put rat poison in that brownie mix and then eat it? Yes. But our culture in this scenario, when we're not listened to or we feel like you're not listening to me, we step aside and go, fine, do it. Put the whole bottle in there. I don't care. Put it all in there. Just do it. Why? Because we want them to see that I'm right. And my friends, that arrogant, that self-centered ideology of me wanting to be proven right in a scenario has to die. Because I cannot sit by and watch you put something in your life that is going to harm you. And the more you consume it, it could cause you pain. It could cause you death. I can't lovingly sit by and watch you without saying anything and go, hey, please stop. Look, I have instructions right here that says this is going to hurt you. This choice, this lifestyle that you're running down this road for, it's going to hurt you. And I'm not standing here because I hate you. I don't want your, your recipe to be good. I'm standing here to say, my God, can you just stop for a second? And a heart would cry out of love for someone to not add something to their life that could end in their destruction. Do we want to be right? Or can we take a little bit of ridicule to give love? See, if someone hates us for speaking the truth of God's word, we need to pray for them. Not stand by and go, hurt yourself, dude, and then come back and tell me how right I was. Because even if you were right, the selfishness and arrogance that poured out of you may be too big a barrier for that person to come across and admit they're wrong. And we as people of God, as believers in Christ, unintentionally put barriers between us and people when we have to be right and we operate from a position of selfishness and not from love some people will say Matt I'll pray for them I'll pray they come back here and apologize (laughs) eternity is more important than a temporary apology their eternity is more important than a temporary apology can we take a little bit can we toughen up enough to take some ridicule to still show love can we accept that there might be a fact that we are persecuted jesus is laying this out beautifully for us we will be persecuted we will be talked down to people will call us things that are wrong and lie about us and Jesus is explaining to us through his word love them anyway why because there's a great possibility their soul is on the line and their eternity is worth far more than me having some emotional pain for a moment 
I'm not telling you to pursue pain. I'm not telling you to run back to people who've hurt you. You have to use wisdom. You have to create healthy boundaries. I understand all of that, but you can still show love. Why? Because love endures all things. Number two, the second point for tonight is this. Love never fails. Love never fails. This word fails in the, in, the, in the Bible means this, to fall out of, to fall down from, or for, fall down from a position. It means to fall powerless or be without effect. And it's also in reference, not just to not failing, but it's also relating to the divine promise of salvation that we have as believers in Christ. And so quickly, let me run through three aspects of this love never failing. The first letter A in your notes is this. Love never falls from its position of importance. Love never falls from its position of importance. 1 Corinthians 3 through, or 4 through 7, we have read, but now let's go on to verse 8. Prophecy, speaking in unknown languages, and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Prophecy, speaking in unknown languages, and special knowledge, all of this is temporary. It will become useless, and it draws a dividing line between those things and love. And it says, this is eternal. These things are temporary. Our culture really likes to um, uh, push the idea of success. Everybody's at home. There's more social media consumption right now with all the coronavirus um, um, uh, pandemic things going on in our world. Everybody's at home. More people are consuming social media more than ever, and people are trying to get on there. You can be successful at home. You can be successful in your business, and all that is well and good. But our culture is promoting this idea of success. And it makes me think, what really is success? See, our culture views success as wealth, influence, fame, notoriety, position, visibility, and so on. But none of those things that I just listed that our culture views as as success... None of those things are eternal. Let me tell you a way that I know that. Outside of the fact that God's Word is told, it tells us that, let me tell you another way. I've had the unfortunate privilege to attend many funerals in my life. Some of them are for very close family members. Some extended family, some friends, some really close friends, some distant friends, some people I, I had just met. And I have never once in any of those funerals seen any person stand up and say, you know what, that guy was great at amassing wealth. This guy was, I just admired the way he selfishly pursued all his fleshly pleasures and stepped over everybody just to do that. It was awesome. No, I've never heard anybody say anything like that. You know what they say? This guy went out of his way for me. This lady loved me when I didn't know how to love myself. 
This person was inconvenienced in a way that I can't explain, but it benefited me. It's because in that moment at those funerals, the temporary stuff doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if 10,000 people attend your funeral. If you hurt all of them and stepped on every single one of them on your way to success. Because no one's going to be sad that you're gone. Success for us as Christ followers has to be redefined. And it cannot be defined at these temporary things that the culture says. It has to be defined by God's word. So success over here in the world is full of temporary things. But my friends, success for the Christ follower is rooted in living a life of love. And a life of love stands in awe at the undeserved grace we receive from God and reflects the light of our Savior's love to a dark world. Love, even if we say, man, I, I got hurt when I, when I gave love and we kind of put it down on our priority list, the Bible continues to say love never fails. It always stays in its elevated position of importance regardless of our emotional feeling at the moment. Love never fails. Letter B. Love is never powerless or without effect. Love is never powerless or without effect. How do I know that? Let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's jump down to verse 13. Three things last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. If you've ever been to a, a wedding or a Christian wedding or in church longer than probably you know, 10 minutes, you've heard somebody say this scripture, right? These, these things last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And I got really comfortable as a kid who grew up in church and has heard this scripture repeated hundreds and maybe more than a thousand times. I got really comfortable with the idea of, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But when I read that again during my study this week, the, the, the profound nature of just how huge this statement is hit me. See, salvation is granted to us through faith in Christ. We have hope in Jesus' promise for eternity with Him. So if you are a believer in Christ, my friends, your eternity is staked on your faith in Christ and the hope that He gives for eternity away from separation from Him and with Him forever. Everything resides on those two things. But then He goes a step further and says love is greater. Why? Because humanity has no faith and no hope without God's love. There is no hope for a future. There is no hope for redemption. There is no hope for salvation. There is no hope for faith in anything if God didn't first love us. That he gave his son. Whichever one of us would believe would not perish and have everlasting life. We have a funny commercial. Um, I'm not sure where you are watching this or when it will be in the future. Maybe it'll be off by then. But right at this point, you can Google it YouTube. Everything lasts forever on YouTube, right? <clears throat> There's a, a product called Flex Tape. 
and it was made from this stuff called Flex Seal. And there's a commercial out right now where there's this big jug of water. And the guy takes this spear or something, and he sticks it in the side of it, and water starts pouring out of it, makes this big puncture. And he takes this patch of flex tape and goes, wham, and smacks it up against, and instantly the, the, the leak stops. And it's like flex tape. Most people look at love that way. If I just apply love immediately to a scenario that's hurtful, if I just apply it really quick to someone who's my enemy, <clears throat> excuse me, if I just apply it real fast, everything's going to be okay, right? Mm -mm. Love will not always immediately change the heart of someone who has done us wrong, but consistently loving in the face of wrongdoing will show others a better way over time and will validate that we have truly loved them since the beginning. It would be great if you could be in a, in a hurtful scenario with an enemy or someone who's against you and you show them love and they go, oh, I am being shown love. I will immediately change. I will immediately apologize. And we will immediately reconcile our relationship and everything will be good immediately. Doesn't work that way. I just thought you said that love doesn't fail and it's never powerless. How does it not work? Oh, it works. Because love will allow our hearts to heal faster when we forgive and keep no record of wrong. Think of the power of love because I don't know anything else that does this. Listen to this. Love is so powerful that it will change the one showing love and receiving love at the same time in different ways. Love is so powerful that if I'm the one who's showing love, it changes me to be more like God. It changes me to have my heart <coughs> continue to, be, to follow His path, His spirit. For my flesh to die and for, for me to continue to choose for the spirit of God to live in me. And at the exact same time, the one who's receiving love can have that moment to go, why would someone love me continually even though I acted in a way that's contrary to them? It works on both ends at the same time in different ways. Love is never without power or effect. It's always changing us. <clears throat> last point, letter C, last point of the message today is this. God's love will never fail. We know love never fails. It's supposed to endure through all things. And it seems like, man, there's a lot for us to kind of get through, a lot for us to push through, to continue to show love to our fellow man, to people who are believers and people who are not believers. We're showing love to everyone. But God's love will never fail. That is the foundation that we stand on. His word never fails. His love never fails. The truth about the gospel never fails. <clears throat> what are you saying, Matt? I'm saying that when you have faith in Christ and your hope is in Him and you have confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no caveat. If you get in before, this is a limited time offer. 
For $19.99, the price goes up tomorrow. No, no, no. You ain't got a, <clears throat> there's no cutoff from you for you except for death. We're never going to get into a scenario where we have so many people that want to go to heaven. God goes, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? He never runs out of power. He never runs out of grace. He never runs out of love. And if you choose His Son, then my friend, He is snatching you from death. How do I know this? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, nor in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 36, 5 through 9. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike. <clears throat> oh Lord, how precious is your unfailing love, O oh God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from the river of your delights. You are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. These are three quick passages that are from a book that is filled with the glorious praise of God, touting His strength, His love for His children never fails. He's not a human that's in a boat trying to pull people out of the sea until he, that are going to drown until he just collapses from, from no energy. It doesn't matter if it's a thousand people or a million and a thousand, a billion and a thousand, a trillion and a thousand. His love never fails. His strength always will pull you from death. It is a wonderfully wonderfully hopeful moment for believers when we realize this is truth. God has the character and the power to make good on His promise to save us from our sin. Why would God, a holy God, a righteous God, continue to love us through our imperfections? And why should we continue to love others when they seem to not deserve it? It's very simple. Love endures. 